today and then again um, next week. There'll be um, at least the one more lesson next week that I want to cover because there's a couple of more points that I want to bring to you about the baptism of Jesus Christ that we may not have realized. First thing, let's talk about last week. We saw how it, it is tied to the Jewish mikvah that was a part of their Old Testament and a part of Jewish customs, even to today. And there are several reasons for that. But we saw that basically it represented cleansing. It's a ritual cleansing. And it was required for certain conditions like leprosy. It was required as part of the separation for um, priestly service and some other things. And we saw how last week we talked about the most obvious things that we consider for baptism. And we are familiar with those because of Paul in Romans chapter 6 and other places where Paul talks about how it represents that, that salvation experience. How when we become saved, we're cleansed from our sin through Jesus' blood and then we're raised to newness of life. And so we saw how that's depicted in the going down through the immersion and then coming back up and being raised to life. We saw that Jesus underwent it, perhaps as our pattern for one thing, and prophetically as well, because he was about to bear our sins in his own body. But today I want to pick up the second part of his baptism and consider what it means, because it was also a uh, Jewish tradition and a Jewish part of their custom that they would undergo mikvahs as well as a consecration for marriage. And I want to cover that today because I want us to see how it applies to Jesus and what happens there. And so to do that, we need to understand an ancient custom in the Jewish um, tradition and in the Jewish religion, and that is the ancient Jewish wedding and this is found in the scriptures. So that's why I'm bringing it to you. It's something that is biblical and it's, it's precious to us when we see Jesus in this way. Jesus referred to it in Matthew 25 when he gave the parable of the ten virgins. That's a portion of that. He referred to it in John 14 when he talked about how he was going away to prepare a place, but he would come again. We're going to look at that. And it's also played out in Genesis 24 with the bride for Isaac. So we see it beautifully pictured there. So let's take an overview of it today. I've taught this over several lessons before, and each one can, can go in-depth in other ways. But today I just want to cover primarily an overview about this because I want to focus on the one thing that applies to Christ's baptism. First of all, <clears throat> what would happen is a groom and or a father of a groom would leave their home and come to the place that the bride was, where the bride lived, and then they would choose their bride. Okay? Now, how does this happen? How does this apply to us? How does this apply to Jesus Christ? He left heaven. He came to earth where his bride lived, and he chose his bride. And that's found for us four different um, people speak of that. We have four different witnesses in the New Testament that tell us that, and I'm going to read you a few of those. In John chapter 15, verses 13, Jesus says this, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So here, Jesus himself testifies to us that he came and chose us. In Ephesians 1.4, Paul says this as well. He says in 1.4, But as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter also says, he tells us that we are a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. And in Revelation 17, 14, we read this as well. And it says, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. This is in talking about some of the end time things to come. But it says this, it says, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. So we have four different witnesses in the New Testament that proclaim to us that the church, the people of God, are chosen by God just like a groom would come and choose his bride. Jesus has chosen us to be his bride. Last place I want to read you on that point is in Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to begin reading in verse 25. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones." So he goes on there, and he's talking about the, the, the relationship between husbands and wives and comparing it to Christ and the church. So here again, we see this mystery of marriage in regard to Christ and the church. So Christ is depicted as our groom right here in Paul's passage, and the church is depicted as his bride. So... This is one body in Christ, and we are his bride. Second thing that would happen is when the groom would find his bride, he would present to her a marriage contract. It was called a ketubah. And this would lay out, it would tell of his vows to her. It would speak of his promises and everything he pledges to do for her, that that he will perform for her. It tells of the bride's promises back to him and what's expected of his bride. It invites her to wed him. It offers marriage to her. And it has one very, very important element. The most important element in the entire contract that he presents to her is the bride price. What he is willing to pay to have her as his bride. 
Now, I want to explain that just for a minute, and I want to park here for just a second, because when we hear that, we may have a tendency to think that he was buying her as some property to abuse or to use, but it's not that at all. The bride price was how special and how valuable that bride was to him that he was willing to pay that price to be able to wed her. So instead of decreasing her value, it actually established her value. Now listen, because it declared what he valued that bride at in order to have her as his wife. Now that's very important because Jesus established for us in the word what our bride price is. So I believe the word of God that we hold in our hands is our ketubah. It outlines to us Christ's offer of marriage to us. It outlines his promises and his vows to us in this covenant relationship. That's why it all starts with being washed in the blood of Jesus. It's a covenant relationship. When God cut covenant with Abraham, he, he told him, take these animals, take these five things, cut, cut them in half, all but the birds. And, you know, and then he walked between the pieces while Abraham was asleep, signifying that he made a covenant with Abraham. It's the same thing. God cut covenant with us when Jesus shed his blood and was cut in pieces on the cross. God cut covenant with us through Christ and the cross. So it's all based on covenant. And so we have covenant promises found throughout the scriptures, such as Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. We have Psalm 23 that tells us the Lord is my shepherd. We have Psalm 121 that speaks of how he will preserve all of our goings out and our comings in. We have Isaiah 53, 5, by his stripes we are healed. All of these things are his vows to us. They are what our groom has pledged to do on our behalf and has promised to us, his bride, who have entered covenant relationship with him. Now, this week, I'm going through some, some things myself and trying to make some decisions. And, and I, got, I got so blessed by God this week and so mad at the devil. And... You know, because the devil's tried to do different things to take me down, to take me out. And, um, and so I, I just spent some extra time this week, and I felt like the Lord led me to, to write out scriptures, rhema scriptures that he gave me to speak over my body and to speak over me because these are the promises that my covenant God has declared are mine. And I am able to claim them. And I got so mad at the devil this week. And I told the Lord on the way home. I, I was praying and I, I said, Lord, the Bible says in Proverbs 6 that when a thief is found, he must restore sevenfold. 
And I said, God, that thief, I'm ready for him to restore sevenfold. And I said, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I proclaim that what the devil tried to stop me from doing in Jesus' name, I will have a seven times greater harvest from that work than I would have had if he'd have left me alone. Sometimes we got to get mad at the devil and believe God's word. And so now I got those scriptures and I'm reading them three times a day over my body and I'm speaking the word of God into my body and I'm speaking the words of life into my body. There's times when we got to take authority and take, take our faith and even if it's a mustard seed and put it in God and say, God, I'm trusting you. And so this week that kind of came to a head for me and God is working in me. And I believe his living, life-giving word is going to deal with some of these things on my behalf. And I'm coming out of this and God's going to give me a greater harvest than I would have had if the devil would have left me alone. Hallelujah. So our groom has given us promises in our covenant relationship that we can claim and we can stand on based on the blood of Jesus, based on the covenant that we have with him. He is our groom and he's provided a marriage contract for us. And I told you the most important thing in this contract is the bride price. And there are several scriptures that speak of that. One is Psalm 49 verses 7 through 8 which was written by the sons of Korah. And they talk about how the price to redeem mankind is costly. It's a ransom that's very costly. Mark 14, 23 through 24, John Mark speaks about it. And I want to read this one to you in 1 Peter 1, in verse 18. Peter is speaking here and he says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We've been bought with a price. The bride price to have us that Jesus paid was his own blood. Paul testifies about it also when he says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you, are, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here again, many witnesses in the New Testament tell us that the price Jesus valued you at was his own blood. In other words, Get that in your spirit today. Hear me. You are so valuable to Jesus that when he came as the groom seeking his bride and he wrote a marriage contract and he decided what he was willing to pay to have you in covenant relationship as his bride. He said, I'll lay my life down and give the price of my blood to have them. Now, I don't know about you, but that touches my heart. Because what it ought to do is make us realize that he values us. Someone and I were just talking in the hallway a minute ago about how we truly 
truly do not even begin to fathom the depths of God's love for us. We haven't even scraped the surface of truly understanding his love. He looked when you were in your sins, when I was in my sins, came to earth, saw us in our sinful condition, and said, I'll pay my blood to have that person. I'll pay, I'll pay my blood for Kay. I'll pay my blood for you and for you and for you and for you. How precious is that? You are that valuable to Jesus. He has declared that great price that he was willing to pay for you. So then, once the bride price was established, the ketubah was drawn up and the contract was given to her. This was something that was precious to her. She was supposed to keep it with her at all times and refer to it. And she knew that he'd be faithful to keep his promises. Then there was a signing and a sealing of this covenant marriage. And it, include, it included the, a covenant meal where they would drink a cup. In the Jewish tradition, the groom would pop the question, so to speak, to his bride by offering her a cup of wine at a shared meal. And if she would say yes to him, she would drink from that cup. Jesus in the Gospels held a last Passover Seder with his disciples. And he offers the cup to them. And he tells them that this was the covenant in his blood. And offered marriage in that moment to the disciples who became the foundation of this church or the bride of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, excuse me, chapter 11, verses 2 through 3, Paul says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ and then we go on and we read in other places about this last supper, we call it. About how Jesus, when he presented that cup to them, he said, take and drink from it, all of you, for this is the covenant in my blood. And so when the bride accepted and drunk from the cup, the marriage was sealed in that moment. The only thing remaining was for the groom to pay the bride price. And he did that very same day. Within 24 hours, he had paid the bride price to have the marriage to us, his church. When we accept Jesus, we become a part of his bride, bought with his own blood. And this is what communion can also represent to us. The next time you partake of communion, think about it that way. That in a sense, you are renewing, every time you drink of the cup, you're renewing your covenant vow to, it, to have Jesus as your groom. You're renewing the fact that you say, yes, I am married to you, Jesus. I am part of your covenant bride. It's a beautiful thing. Then the groom would leave 
the bride gifts before he departed. And he did. He left us gifts. He left us the fruit of the Spirit. He left us the gifts of the Holy Spirit to lavish her with. And then he would go away. He departed for one reason, to build their house. In John chapter 14, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We, my translation reads, many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's right. So Jesus has left to build our home, to build the home for his bride. And he will come again. Hear me, church. We're eagerly waiting for him to come back. And he may seem to be delaying his coming. He's not. Peter tells us that what appears to be delay only means more salvation, more souls, more people entering into covenant relationship with him and being able to join us in the rapture. But he is coming again because he paid a high price to have us. When the groom paid a high price for that bride, you better believe he was going to come back and claim her. He will return, and he will take us home. So now we're in the waiting time. The bride had certain responsibilities. You can read some of this in Matthew 25 in the parable of the virgins. One of the things, she had to keep herself pure and faithful to him during that time because we're already considered married to him. In the scriptures, you see a beautiful pattern of that with Joseph and Mary in Luke chapter 1 and 2. They were betrothed, and in Matthew chapter 1. We must be ready at a moment's notice for his return. We do not know when he's coming back, but we are required to keep oil in our lamps and to stay ready to go. We don't know, but we need to be eager and ever awaiting his return. Let me ask you this. I just went to a wedding yesterday. I would imagine that there is an eagerness and an excitement and anticipation inside a bride who can't wait for the wedding day to come, right? I guarantee you that Jessie was all excited about yesterday, and she had it on her calendar, and I bet she was looking forward to it every day, every day. It was getting closer, and she couldn't wait to have that, wed to have that wedding and actually become Josh's bride in that ceremony. Is there that kind of eager anticipation for our groom to return in the bride of Christ today? Now, I'm not asking any judgmentalism. I'm not saying that. I'm simply trying to make a point. We need to be as eager about the Jesus' return as a bride is waiting for her wedding day. We're going to see our groom. We're going to meet him face to face. We're going to have a wedding ceremony and a marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And we will be with him face to face forever. And we'll never be separated again. The bride 
who has the light of her groom in, his, in her eyes, is eagerly. She can't wait for wedding to come. She can't wait for that day to arrive. And that's where we're at. She didn't know when he was coming, but she had an eager anticipation for whenever it was to come. So the groom would return without warning at any moment, and he would whisk her away and take her to the wedding ceremony where they would then have the marriage supper of the Lamb afterward. So Jesus is doing that for us. We are in that waiting season, and we too will be whisked away to be with him forever, and we will have great celebration and rejoicing from that point forward. So now I want to go back and pick up this thing about the mikvah bath and how it ties in with a Jewish wedding. What would happen is that the groom and the bride would undergo separate mikvah baths. He would undergo one, and she would undergo one at a separate time. But they had the same purpose. It was an act of consecration and separation by undergoing this. In other words, each one of them were saying by doing this, I separate myself from all other loves for you and you alone. I choose you as my one and only love. So they separated themselves from others and unto each other. Christ left heaven to choose his bride. He came and lived among us and chose us. Left us the marriage contract, spelled out the bride price, offered the cup, and we've received it through Christ and through what we believed in faith. And we have entered into marriage with him. He paid the bride price to have us, showing our value to him. He lavished us with gifts. He went away, but he is coming back again. And in his baptism, he willingly underwent this as an act of separation and consecration. To love us with a full and devoted love. To promise and commit to keep his vows in the ketubah to us. To be devoted to us, provide for our needs, see to our care, cherish us as his own body and to covenant with us. In offering this cup, Christ drank from it and he said, drink from it all of you. His bride is composed of all of us who have entered this covenant relationship with him. It's interesting to me, I have a scripture that I like to pray over prodigals and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 10 through 12. And, uh, and so I pray this partly over the prodigals that I know about and as I'm praying for prodigals each day. And in that scripture, God is talking about how he found Jacob in the wilderness. And then he talks about the different things that he did for Jacob. But one of them included that, that he would come out and there would be no foreign gods at all with them. In other words, that they would be separated from those things of the past and there wouldn't be any more idolatry and they would be truly Christ and truly devoted to him. And we as the church need to leave all other foreign gods, all other loves for him and serve him and be devoted to him alone. 
For all who accept uh, his covenant and his offer of marriage, he becomes the groom, and we become heirs to that contract. And he's going to return again. He has paid a high price for us, and he underwent even this act of consecration in his baptism declaring his love for us, declaring his devotion to us as his bride. And so now by undergoing that, even that as a fresh, that has a new meaning. That's why you don't have to just be baptized one time. You can be baptized another time for different reasons. And one of those is to separate yourself and to make a public declaration as Christ did that I separate myself from all other loves. I separate myself, Jesus, in this act. I publicly declare that I am separating myself to you and to you alone. I love you. You are my groom. And I serve you and I love you. And I am in covenant with you and I appreciate you. So it's a public way to show that devotion and that consecration to Jesus Christ. He has separated himself in covenant with all who will accept his offer of marriage. And we are espoused to him. He is our groom, as Paul said. And now we have the honor and privilege of keeping ourselves pure and unspotted from the world. I believe it was James, or James, I believe, that spoke about that. Keeping ourselves pure and unspotted from the world. Separating only unto him. And the act of Baptism is just a public declaration of that. Baptism really is all about just a public declaration of changes that have already happened in our heart, decisions that have already been made in our heart. And so part of Christ's baptism was in undergoing it in that way to declare his love for us afresh and anew as our groom. And because he's paid a high price for us, he is coming back. And I pray that maybe today you can be left with an eager excitement like a bride would be waiting for a wedding day or a groom physically in the the natural realm, excited about the wedding day to come because it is coming, beloved, and our groom is coming for us. Father, I just pray that you would bless this word and you will reveal to us that that you would have for us to take away from this word. And Father, I thank you that you have underwent that for us. That you have declared your love afresh and anew publicly in an act of consecration to show how much you love us. And I'm so grateful you did pay a high price to have us. May we treasure that relationship with you, Lord. May we treasure our covenant relationship. May we we be ever careful to be pure and faithful, keeping ourselves from all other loves and keeping ourselves devoted only to you, and ever anticipating your soon return for us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be blessed.